Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you guys will stand, let's sing together to our God. Yeah. 
a time of confession together, and I'll read from God's Word in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Father God, we come this morning and we proclaim what a great and glorious God you are. We thank you. Again, for the freedom to worship you and to enjoy you. We thank you for the beauty outside. And Lord, we come as a people that confess that that we don't always live in gratefulness, that we don't always live in joy with you. But often we turn aside to the left and to the right and step off the path that you've marked out for us. Lord, we live with the wisdom of our own minds, thinking that we're wise when we're not, thinking that we know how to live life apart from you. Lord, I pray that we would, we would turn from evil, as it says in Proverbs 3, and that we would see it as something that would refresh and heal us as we turn back to you. Lord, we thank you that you're a forgiving God that accepts us back, that we don't have to be ashamed because of our great sin and how far we've fallen away from you, but we can, we can give that to you. We can lay that at your feet knowing that, that you've paid for it, that you gave your son Jesus to take care of our sins and to bring us back to yourself. So I pray that you would help us to live a life where we continually offer ourselves back up to you, that you would direct our paths, that you would give us wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
again. If uh, you have a Bible, you can open it up to 2 Timothy. We're in the book of 2 Timothy. And if you don't have one, we've got some under the chairs as well that you could use. And we're on page 995 in those Bibles. So you're welcome to grab one of those as well. Borrow it indefinitely as needed. Um, We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today. I want to thank Stephen Watson for stepping in for me last week. Appreciate that. He did a great job for us. And uh, yes, amen. Good job. And uh, don't, don't clap for him too much. Though. But we appreciate him filling in. He did a great job for us. And we've been going through this series on 2 Timothy called Carry On. And what we've been looking at is how this new culture, this new city within a city based on the gospel that we're trying to build. Um, now in 2 Timothy, Paul's saying, don't let it just stop there. Don't, don't just build one church and then you're done. But, but this has got to spread. This, is ha- this has to, to move out into the wilderness. And that's what the art... We've got there, it's supposed to kind of symbolize that, that God's creating this new thing in us and then it's supposed to spread outward to, uh, to take over and to move on and to bring God's blessings to other places as well. Um, in this week's passage, we've called it truth-centered because what Paul is going to bring Timothy back to is to make sure he doesn't veer off course, but to make sure he focuses on the truth, that he sticks to this word of truth is the language he uses in this passage, this, this truth of the gospel, this good news. That yes, God is holy, and He is the righteous judge of the whole world, and we don't measure up to that judgment, but God gives us uh, grace and forgiveness in Jesus. That He forgives us, and He brings us back to Himself, even though we've rebelled, even though we're sinners. God brings us back to Himself, and so we are to now build on that and focus on that as we move forward, as we carry on, as we, as we take this gospel to new places, as we build and multiply and spread what we're doing here and what God is teaching us. We're to focus on the truth. We're to, we're to keep our eyes on the ball, so to speak. And that's what he's going to say in verses 14 through 19. So if you'll follow with me, we'll read in for verses 14 through 19. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. These things he just talked about, some of what Stephen covered last week, of this gospel, this, this descendant of David that has risen from the dead, the salvation that we have in Jesus. Paul says, remind them of these things. Verse 14, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. 
But God's firm foundation stands, bearing his seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Those first two verses are really the summary verses for this focus on truth. I'm going to read those two again. It says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel with, with words, not to play games, fighting with words, but to use words to direct people to the truth. He says, that does no good, quarreling with words. It only ruins the hearers. But verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Literally, it's straight cutting to the word of truth. In the Old Testament, in Proverbs, the Greek translation of Proverbs 3 that I read this morning, of praying that God would direct our paths. That's the exact same Greek word. It's clearing a path to the truth. The man of God should, should direct people to the truth. And he says there are these false teachers that just fight with words. They're, they're just playing games. But he's saying, Timothy, you've got to focus people on the truth. You've got to direct a path for them to see the truth of who God is. Let's pray and ask God to uh, help us get this today. Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning, that you would direct our paths, that you would make our paths straight, that you would lead us to yourself. Lord, we thank you that truth is not just something abstract, but it's a person. Thank you for giving us yourself. We pray that your spirit would come as our comforter, as our counselor, as our teacher, and help us to learn from your word. Help transform our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I thought about this idea of, of cutting a straight path, we've got great art that Chris found for us of this path through this kind of scary woods. I was remembering back to when I was a teenager, and we used to like to uh, go play in the woods between the two neighborhoods. You know, there was like a big creek and a valley between a couple of neighborhoods me and some of my friends lived in and, and we would walk you know it'd take the shortcut really it would you know, take us forever but the shortcut to go through the woods and through the creek to get to the other friend's house and when it was the winter time everything was kind of dead and there wasn't that much brush and so you could you could zip through real quick you could see well there wasn't a lot in your way and you could just get across but then we would come back in the spring and the summertime and everything was all grown up. There were all these thorns and briars and these scraggly trees and vines that had all grown up and it was hard to see. It was hard to get through and there was no path at all. And so we would play a game as, as teenage boys. We would, you know, basically race to see who could get to the other side the fastest. And we didn't, our moms wouldn't let us play with machetes for some reason, but we would usually have like a, you know, we'd have a stick or something to kind of knock things out of the way. Sometimes we'd just run straight through. And so part of the fun was seeing who won, you know, who got to the other side the fastest but part of the fun too was seeing who had the most scars when he got on the other side right you know like hey look my arm is oozing from those thorns you know and look at the blood on this other side and and so that was kind of cool for teenage boys i don't know why i don't really enjoy bleeding as much now that i'm older as i did when i was a teenage boy but back then it was really cool it was very exciting and, and part of what made it fun too is when you're racing you know you you push this tree branch out of the way and your friend's right behind you and then you step back and it whacks him you know and and so we're basically warring with these, these tree branches and, and making a game of it. And Paul says that sometimes that's what teachers will do with their words. Some, sometimes for teachers it's just this big game and they're using words to hit people and to hurt people. They're, they're, they're trying to, uh, to have this competition. They're trying to impress people with their words. Literally at the beginning of this passage, in, where is it, in verse uh, 14, he says, remind them not to quarrel about words. It's this word in the Greek that's literally uh, word war. He's like, remind them not to have word wars, okay? Not to be fighting with words. But to use their words, use their position as teachers to direct people to the truth. It says this word here in verse 15 where it says, to be a, an approved worker who has no need to be shamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Any of you ever heard of Awana? this program where you memorize Bible verses. This is the Awana verse, okay? Awana gets its goofy name. It's an acronym for this verse, basically. That's where they got the name. A worker, an approved worker, not ashamed. Thank you. Very good. She was in it. I'll give you some extra stars after the service. Um, <laughs> but in the King James Version, it says, rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. Some of you, if you've gone to independent... Um, churches, you know, where they talk about rightly dividing the word of God, and that, you know, it's very important. And, and that's what we're trying to do here. Here in this translation says rightly handling. The NIV says accurately handling. It, it's the same word, straight cutting, clearing a path to the truth. And, and that's what we should be doing. So instead of playing games, 
we should be clearing a path so people can get through. We should be leading others. So me and my, my friends, when we were teenagers, it was a competition. We were trying to knock each other down and throw tree branches in our faces. And, you know, that, that's not how a, a church should be led, though, right? The, the leaders of a church, Sunday school teachers, shouldn't be trying to impress you and show off how smart they are and put you down with their words. You know, they should be leading you to the truth. That, that's the goal here that Paul is saying. The leaders of the church should be leading people to the truth, cutting a straight path for people. Now when I go back to the woods, I usually don't have... Uh, other friends that I'm trying to hurt, but I have my family with me, right? Like if I go hiking somewhere and we're going off trail, I'm moving the branches out of the way so my little daughter can get through, right? Or so my wife can, can get through. My son, yeah, I'd hit my son with the branch. But, you know, but, I, but I, I'm leading the rest of them through. I'm clearing a path, right? He's tough. He can handle it. It's all right. It's good training. Um, but but I... I'm leading them through, we're cutting a path, and that's really what the church should be about, right? The church should not be here to obscure things, and that's, and that's part of why we do things the way we do at this church, is we're trying to provide clarity. Um, we, we're, we're trying to make things simple, just so people can see the word, hear the word, sing the word, understand who God is, and understand his desires for their life, understand his grace, the word of truth. And, and so that's what we're, we're trying to be about. And Paul here warns of, of these sidetracks, these ways that you can veer off and you can begin using words as a game and you can veer off from the truth. And so the first thing that he talks about, the first way that you get off path is worthless babble. Worthless babble. Verse 16 says, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Irreverent babble. The words, literally, it's a combination of a couple of words, and really they both kind of just mean empty talk, worthless babble. Uh, I think it's ungodly chatter is what it says in another translation. I mean, those are all fine translations. It's just kind of worthless talk, just kind of small talk. And not small talk in the, in the sense of just meeting someone, right? I mean, small talk is okay in that circumstance. Because I know some people, I used to actually kind of be like this. If, if you're kind of a, a, a serious person, sometimes you can... You can dislike small talk. You know, you always want to go deep with people and you don't like small talk. Have you ever met anyone like that? Am I the only jerk that used to be like that? So, I've improved in this area, I think. But, you know, like you can think, oh, it's a waste of time to talk about the weather and how's your family and where'd you move from, you know, and all that. But that, I mean, that's important when you're getting to know someone. You know, you move from the small things to deeper things and, and you've got to give relationships that time to, to progress. But here in this context, he's not just talking about meeting someone and that kind of small talk or that kind of... Uh, talking about little things. He's talking about teachers that are kind of engaged in this kind of babble, this kind of chatter where they're just talking about themselves and talking about what pleases them, and they're not leading people to the truth. That's the context that he's talking about here. I, I was thinking about the show Seinfeld. Anyone here old enough to remember that show? Yeah? Okay. We're a pretty young church, so you never know. Um, Seinfeld was the sitcom that was on for many years, and it was known for being the show that was about nothing. Right? Do y'all remember that? Um, it was the show that was about nothing. And they would sit, many episodes, in this coffee shop chatting about worthless things. They were just kind of self-obsessed, selfish people that just kind of talked about things and what bugged them and how this girl wasn't a good girl to date anymore and because she had this little habit that bugged Jerry or bugged George. You know, and they would have these, these just goofy conversations. And it was funny... Um, but I've had a lot of friends from other cultures that would be really repulsed by it because they, they would say, well, yeah, that's, that's exactly what's, a wrong, what's wrong with American culture right there. You know, that show, is, it kind of fits it's everything that's wrong with us. Um, and they just engage in this worthless babble all the time. And I don't know if you remember if you watched it. Um, the last couple of episodes, the conclusion of the show w was basically judgment. It was basically judgment on these self-obsessed people. So they'd been engaged in, in worthless babble their, their whole life just talking about themselves and what pleased them and just always this kind of banter that never led anywhere, that never really helped anyone. In the final episode, they see someone getting hurt and they just kind of laugh about it, but there's this good Samaritan law in this town, and so they get thrown in jail for not helping someone out. And what they do then is in this episode, they parade every character from every previous show, every bizarre character there was in the show, uh, to talk about and to testify about how these people have been self-obsessed. And they've just been talking about themselves. And they've just been engaging in worthless babble, but wouldn't really help anyone. And, and Paul says that, that's where it starts. With, with false teachers, it starts with people engaged in talk that just pleases themselves. But it doesn't really help anyone. It says it leads to more 
and more ungodliness. It says this will lead people into more and more ungodliness. In other translations, it says advance, and this is kind of a specific word actually here, this word for lead or advance, this progression into ungodliness. It's a very specific word that the false teachers of that day would use to talk about advancing in health and wealth and prosperity. So Paul takes their word and he turns it around on them. They're saying, if you follow our ten steps, or if you follow the five things that, that we talk about, these words that we've made up, then you'll find success. Then you'll be rich. Then you'll find prosperity. And Paul turns the tables on them and he says, no, you're only going to find more and more ungodliness. You will not advance in health. You'll advance in ungodliness. It will not lead you to prosperity. It will lead you to more and more ungodliness. Paul says that's the direction that they're taking people. And I just want to ask us, what are, what are we spending our time on? You know, I mean, again, it's, it's okay to engage in small talk when you're getting to know someone. And that, that's really not what we're talking about. I think really because of the context of the false teaching here, he's talking about the kind of self-obsessed talk where you talk in circles and you'll keep moving around the truth, doing everything you can to avoid the idea of judgment, doing everything you can to avoid the idea of a holy God. And, and when you do that, Sadly, then you miss the idea of a gracious God, too, of a God that forgives our sin, of a God that comes to us even though we are rebels, even though we have turned away from him. He pursues us and brings us back to himself through Christ and what Christ has done for us. And that's, that's what's scary. One thing I would encourage us to do is to begin focusing more of our talk on, on the truth. And that's really why we try to get people together in these small groups, these community groups, these dinner for eight things, is to engage people in conversation so that you can have conversation uh, that's focused on the truth. You can actually talk about things that matter. Again, not every conversation we have has to be about deep, important things. And, and again, the context here is, is teachers leading people astray with, with talk as teachers that's never about the truth. But I think it applies to the rest of our life as well. Where are you leading people with your words? Are you leading people to the truth? The, the next thing that we see that Paul brings up is that this talk spreads. This, this talk, he says, it, it spreads. It spreads like gangrene, like an infection. And don't worry, I don't have a picture of gangrene. So, um, 2 Timothy 2.17 says, And their talk will spread like gangrene. It, it, it's, like, it's like a viral infection. I did find a little microscopic picture of a of virus. It's like a bacteria that grows within us. I mean, that's, that's the illustration he uses. Gangrene, if you, if you don't know, that's basically an infection in your skin that, that eats away at your flesh. And Scripture, again and again, uses that terminology. We saw that in Proverbs 3. I read that earlier while we were uh, singing. In Proverbs 3, it talks about it's a healing to our flesh if, if we repent and turn away from evil. But when we continue engaged in evil, it, it, it eats away at us. And Paul is telling Timothy that this talk, this meaningless talk that goes nowhere and avoids the truth of who Jesus is, this talk spreads. It's like an infection that gets into the system and it begins to take over. And it's something we have to be very careful about. Um, we were talking, I was, had this conversation, I, I think it was my, with my family the other day, we were talking about, I think, a, what used to be a Christian sorority. And I just made this offhand comment because my mom was shocked that this Christian sorority was no longer Christian. I just kind of made this comment, well, Christian organizations don't usually remain Christian. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's generally what you see in history. That's generally kind of what the data shows is that Christian organizations don't generally stay Christian. What happens is this infection sets in where people begin to avoid talking about these central things. They begin to avoid talking about the truth of Christianity, and, and after a while, it's not Christian anymore. This, this infection sets in. It's interesting, there's a, a, a quote from C.S. Lewis that a friend gave me that says, The whole sad history of the human race is a record of people trying to be happy apart from God. And, and it kills us. That, that trying to be happy apart from God eats away at us. It, it's suicidal. Paul says it's like gangrene. This talk of avoiding who God is and what he's done for us, it, it just eats away at us. No matter what Savior we try to find, none of those other Saviors work apart from Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior. He's the only way. We, we try to find all these other things. We think of addictive behaviors and how they kill us. We, you know, that's a little more easy to see, right, if you're addicted to alcohol or drugs. That usually that, that moves a little more quickly. But any addiction we have, any false Savior we go to, it, it kills us. 
you're addicted to relationships, it will kill you. It will lead you to do crazy things to maintain codependent relationships. If you're addicted to power, you'll begin to do crazy things you never thought you would do to hold on to power. If you're addicted to success, you will sin in ways you will stray from God in ways that you never thought you would when you started off because really success is your God instead of God. And here Paul says to be careful of this talk. Be careful of this talk that avoids the truth of who God is because it will spread. It will become an infection. Our words really matter. And and that's why we continue to encourage people here to focus on the truth. To to spend time actually reading it for yourself. I mean, I want want you guys to know the scriptures well enough to to be able to to take me to task if I say something that's off track. You know, to be able to say, wait, is is that what that really means? I mean, I want you to be reading it for yourself. To be holding your leaders accountable. To be holding your teachers accountable to the truth. And to begin directing your life according to the truth, so that your life would be truth-centered instead of just be talking about, you know, every other thing, avoiding the truth at all costs. One thing that keeps people from reading the scriptures, I think, is just sometimes people just pick it up and try to read the whole thing straight through. And let me tell you, that's very difficult. I've done that a few times. I'm a trained pastor, right? I've got, you know, multiple degrees, and it's still difficult to just pick it up and read it straight through. I'd encourage you to start with what you know. I mean, there may be a book of the Bible you're already familiar with. Start with that book. Or you could start with just a book that we know is simple. The, the Gospel of John is a pretty simple gospel to read. It's pretty straightforward. Start with the Gospel of John. Or start with one of the short New Testament letters. Or maybe just start with Genesis. We're familiar with a lot of those stories. But, but read something that, that you can handle, but begin to focus your life, begin to, to center yourself on the truth so you're not veering off that path. The last thing we, say, we see is this, uh, this kind of downward spiral of false teaching. It starts off just with meaningless babble, then it begins to be this talk that spreads like an infection, like gangrene. And then he says, and then they, they've swerved from the truth completely. And this is where really they're, they're just no longer Christian anymore. They're just not even Christian anymore. He says in the end of verse 17, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, and then verse 18, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. In the NIV, I think it's actually a better translation than the ESV on this one. Instead of upsetting the faith, in the NIV it says destroying the faith. That's really a better translation. They've actually destroyed the faith of some. They've, they've wrecked people's faith. They've made a shipwreck of people's lives. Swerved away from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. This word for swerved from the truth... Uh, is literally miss the mark, and it's a word that they would use uh, in archery uh, areas. It could mean swerving off a path, but it also specifically was used quite a bit for, for missing a target. I had a, a, a good illustration of that here. I got a chance to go shoot a Glock with a friend out at the range on Fort Hood. Um, and I don't know if you can see from back there, there are some holes in the middle of the target. Can you all see that? But I didn't shoot those with those holes. That's not, those were not my bullets. I think I had this one. And this one, and then I had a bunch of them that were over here and over here and over here and would make the dirt, you know, explode back behind the target. You see, I kept, I continued to miss the mark. I continued to swerve away from the target. And that's what Paul is saying happens when people deny the resurrection now. It's, it's complete. At first they were just kind of babbling about stupid things. At first they were just kind of talking about self-help, and maybe some things that kind of sound scriptural and biblical. We see that a lot of times in, in churches today. They talk about, you know, the 20 principles to success and the 10 things to fix your life. And, and there tends to be this focus on, on fixing our life now, right? Having our best life now and improving everything and having health and wealth and prosperity today. And the Bible does speak to those things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scripture that speaks to how to improve your life now. But what Jesus shows us is that, that that's not where the story ends, that, that Jesus left heaven and gave it all up for us to save us. And Paul says in Philippians that he stays in this life to give himself to others, even though he'd much rather be in heaven. That, that's where your best life is, in heaven, where everything is perfect, where there's no more sin, where there's no more pain, where there's no more disease, and everything's made right. And so our focus should not be all about self-help and all about fixing our life now, but our focus should be on how do we give that up for others? Because God just has us here for a little while. We have limited time and limited resources, and God has given us all a stewardship. He's given us a life to spend for Him. 
and we should use it up for him instead of swerving off into these other things and talking about things that make us feel better about ourselves and talking about things that are entertaining to us and warring with words, like he says, getting in fights, just making theology a a game so we can impress people or put other people down. He says, no, it's about something very real. It's about a resurrection, a hope that we have of rising from the dead. Christianity is based on the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And a lot of people that, that are former Christians like to say that, that Christianity is really all about it, you know, happening in your heart and, and Jesus rising in your heart and that the real resurrection doesn't really matter. It probably didn't happen and, and it's not that important and they downplay that, but, but it's a spiritual awakening. Well, I would say, yeah, it's, it's in our heart and it's a spiritual awakening, but it, it's based on the truth that this man Jesus really died and really rose from the dead. That's what Easter is about, and that's what we'll be talking about next week at Easter. But you can't get around that. You can't say Jesus was just a nice teacher. Well, no, he was a liar if he didn't rise from the dead. You can't can't come up with these other options. Either he really rose from the dead, which is the only thing that really historically accounts for the spread of Christianity, or he didn't. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says if he did not rise from the dead, it's all a waste of time. We're just wasting our time. We shouldn't be here. This is just stupid. But Paul says it did happen. He he did rise from the dead. And we base our life on that, that we have hope that we we will have a life after death, that this isn't all there is. Because if this is all there is, then yeah, we should be obsessed with health and wealth and prosperity because that's all that matters. But he says, no, because we have life after death, Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can trust him to raise us from the dead and have another life. He says because of that, that enables us to actually give our lives away. Apart from that, giving your life away doesn't make sense. Apart from that, Nietzsche makes more sense. Nietzsche was the philosopher that says just be your own God and, you know, crush anyone that gets in your way. It doesn't make sense to love people if God hasn't loved us and given us eternal life. But but the truth of the gospel is that he has. He's died for us. He gave his life to save us so that we can live our life in freedom, giving our life away to other people. I want to encourage us not to miss the mark. The resurrection is is really the bullseye, this Jesus that rose from the dead. And in the conclusion in verse 19, Paul tries to assure Timothy not to worry. Because Timothy, we've talked about Timothy is, is kind of a timid guy, kind of a shy leader, and Paul continually tries to encourage him to keep going and to keep facing these false teachers. And he says, Timothy, don't feel like, though, this, this downward spiral of false teaching is just going to destroy everything. It says in verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He says, this firm foundation stands. Nothing can rock it. So even though in verse 18 he says they're destroying the faith of some, he's saying, but God's firm foundation stands. Throughout the scripture it's clear that when we see someone fall away from the faith, the scripture says that really in reality that's what we would call a phenomenological faith. That's my $10 word for the day. That you see the external phenomena. You see the traces, the marks of faith. But it's really not faith. If someone loses faith, it's really not faith. Because the scripture is clear in John and in Romans chapter 8 that, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If, if you are in his hand, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can rip you away from his grasp. And so Paul finishes with that encouragement. God's firm foundation stands. Bearing the seal, the Lord knows those who are his. So let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, to depart from sin, to put that away because we belong to him. Again, it's this order that we see again and again in the scriptures, that we depart from sin because God loves us. We don't depart from sin to trick God into loving us. He already knows that we're rebels. He already knows that we're sinners. And the gospel says that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So he says he knows who are his. So let everyone that belongs to the Lord depart from sin. Turn away from sin because he loves you, because he's pursued you. He's quoting this, the Lord knows who, those who are his, from the Greek translation of number 16, which is an interesting story about a leadership battle that took place with Moses back in the Old Testament people of God. So Paul uses this as a parallel for Timothy. 
So Timothy is facing people that are doubting his leadership and trying to lead people astray from the gospel. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to remind you of what happened with the rebellion of Korah. Some of you may know the story of Korah and the rebellion in the Old Testament. And if you go to number 16, that might be something fun for you to read for your devotional time later this week. Um, But God basically says, okay, Korah and his gang, uh, everybody back away from them, okay? Everybody get some distance from Korah and his guys, and I'll show you who I approve of and who are the real leaders that you should follow. And then the uh, earth cracks open and swallows them all up and they all die. So it would be, like I said, some really fun uh, devotional reading for you this week. Um, But Paul is referencing this to say, Timothy, don't worry about it. God's got your back. He's going to make clear who belongs to him. Okay? He's going to make a distinction. They'll, They'll see in the end who are his and who are not. God's firm foundation stands. We don't have to be afraid because the resurrection is true. Because we have hope in this Jesus Christ that rose from the dead. That we know we will rise from the dead. We know that we will have life eternal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. And I pray that you would continue to allow us to center our our lives on it. Continue to lead us. Father, you know it's our our habit to wander and to drift. And we pray that you just help us to continue to renew our ourselves and, and understanding who you are, understanding your goodness to us. We pray that you would teach us and lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can stand, let's sing together. good way to uh, fight lies in our life is just to focus on the truth. Uh, so let's, let's just sing these words together. Um, talk about the gospel that we profess. So let's sing it together. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong love, perfect Oh, that. 
thank you for the truth. Pray that you'd help us to center our lives on it and to live in freedom because of it. I pray in Jesus' name.